Today's episode of Uncommon Deeds is brought to you by Barry Tile and Morrison Clark, Central Vermont stop for all types of flooring for your home or business on the South Barry Road in Barry, Vermont, 802-476-0912, celebrating 50 years in business. Bushy's Generator Sales and Service, Vermont's number one dealer for Briggs and Stratton Generators, two locations in Springfield and Brookfield, 802-591-1903 or bushysgenerator.com. We keep your power on. And Elite Designs, logos, graphics, signage, motorsports, and more. Call Bobby Therian at 802-355-7735 or visit Elite Designs on Facebook. Take your vision and make it a reality with Elite Designs. I'm Justin St. Louis. And I'm Tom Corbett. This is Uncommon Deeds. Welcome, everybody. Mm -hmm. We are back. This feels like the real kind of the actual kickoff to year two. Yeah, yeah. Last week was the celebration of the first completed year. And first of all, we thanked you all, our loyal listeners, (laughs) plenty last week for everything in that first year and helping us get where we are. I want to thank you for coming out last week and crushing it. We weren't sure how it was going to go, putting out three podcasts in a week, if we were going to get, you know, good listenings on all of them. And you guys came to freaking play. You guys murdered it. Hell yeah. And that extends to the week before, too. Because hot damn, we're on a run right now. Uh, the Kenny Tremont episode set records for us. Um, and the Ken Squire episode yeah. is currently potentially breaking those records. Right. Like back-to-back weeks, we're going to have just huge numbers. And, I mean, thank you. So, the uh, yeah, the Kenny Tremont episode for its first seven days was number one for any show that we've done in terms so of that's the a hell of a way week, yeah. to end the first year and then begin the second year with three shows that dang racked up some numbers pretty cool crunch Thank bunch you. i think that was one of the bigger first weeks for a crunch bunch episode for sure. oh yeah thanks to wayne for coming on board with that one i know yeah. justin you were really looking forward to uh hopping on to that episode i was and um I think that I think I don't know this, but I think Al kind of would like to tag team these Crunch Bunch shows a couple more times, which I'm totally cool with. More so, and, I think with those the old school. Yeah, yeah, um, and we did have an old school racer reach out immediately after the the Wayne show came out. The Wayne Wotena. Let's make it right, Wotena. After saying it wrong for thirty years. So, you know, potentially more old school street stalkers coming to you. The Bucktona episode, which. Oh, my God. In looking at it, like in a vacuum, is probably a even more of a niche audience than the Crunch Bunch podcast. Mm. But it was easily the biggest we've ever had in terms of a Crunch Bunch or a bonus podcast. And. I was talking, it was funny because I was talking about it with Jared Hart. It was easily probably top five of the episodes we've done total of all 54 or 53 episodes, whatever we're on, 54, in terms of social media interactions. 
Absolutely. Yeah, no question on that. It went nuts. Which I'm um, glad because it really goes with the theme of that episode if you listen. Right. <laughs> the power of social media. That's how it happened. Um, and and the Bucktone episode is quite literally outperforming several of our regular shows. So that's cool. Very cool. And yep. obviously the big build up to Ken and everyone's listening and a lot of good responses for that, which we're very happy about because that is an episode, you know, we haven't said it about a lot of them. And I think we're proud of, you know, all the episodes we put out, but you know, we were really proud of that episode with Ken and we put a lot of time in it in terms of prep work, definitely on Justin's end more than mine. Cause that is, uh, that is what he thrives in. And I Amen. sometimes lack, uh, a more of a, a free spirit and a free freestyler uh in my my end uh but a lot yeah, of time into the editing no but that yeah one. your your editing was as you say chef's kiss um and i know how the conversation went because i was there and there were some editing tricks that you did like the barking dog <laughs> You don't hear the barking dog. <laughs> and when we recorded the open and close uh, last week before the show came out, I had, I still hadn't heard the edited version. So I, I heard the show when everybody else did um, for the first time. And I was blown away. I mean, it was your crowning achievement so far on the show. And honestly, it's all tech stuff and really nobody cares and nobody would know the difference, but I know and I appreciate. Thank you. Yeah, but, I do. Like I said, it is a uh, it's a team effort, and yeah. I can't do what I do without you, buddy. Uh, right back at you. And Mr. we can't do any of this without you guys actually listening to it. <laughs> and you guys are definitely doing that. Lately. Let me just tell you though, when this Zoom call started, Tom didn't have a shirt on, and that's how. That's how this whole night began. And it was, uh, I like to lighten the mood sometimes. If we uh, are coming in, maybe we're running a little bit late. Got my attention. I can, sometimes I can tell just from the messages Justin sent me that he's scrambling a little bit. Oh yeah. Usually if it's me getting notes line by line through messenger, Mm -hmm. like five minutes before we're supposed to get on and start recording. I'm like, okay. He's he's scrambling. He's a little stressed. So I was I was between washing my daughter's hair and washing her butt, and it was bath time as I sent you those things. So yeah, I went to start putting the kids to bed at eight o'clock, and we were recording at eight fifteen. And thank God they cooperated. <laughs> Bedtime itself has gone better lately. It's the That's... getting up in the middle of the night that is not going well, at least with mm-hmm. Izzy. Yeah. As for today's episode, as like you said, we uh, we kick off. Really. Is that a single tear running down your cheek there? Maybe <laughs> a tear of joy and pain, and thinking about her getting up in probably two hours, right as I fall asleep, just to get up to tell me she needs someone to tuck her back in, and trying to have that logical conversation with a five-year-old. About you just got out of bed to come get me to tuck you into bed and doesn't get it. Evelyn's been doing this thing 
where she's got her lovey in her hand and walks into our bedroom and wake, wakes me up at three in the morning and says that she can't find her lovey. <sighs> yeah. We had, what was it like? I yesterday? Just, Izzy was find, just reaching over. So, <laughs> I can't reach my water. It's on her little bedside. I'm like, you have to move. Yeah. You have to roll a little bit. And her hand is literally on top of it. No, I can't reach it. I need you to get my water for me. Please push it like, four I, millimeters. No, I'm like, I will not. And it was a standoff. <laughs> and Allie at one point was just like, no, I'm not. And left. <laughs> left the room and shut the door. And she started to cry. She didn't get my water. And like, get back in your room. And she climbs. She, no one will get me my water. I'm like, well, you're standing up in the kitchen right now. So you could easily walk back you, and get you your freaking water. Your water to tell me that. Yeah. And then she gets back in bed and does the same thing with me. <laughs> like, oh, Danny, I can't reach the water. I'm like, no, I am. No, I'm not touching that water. Yeah. Your finger is literally on. No, I can't reach it. You better roll your ass over there and get it. Then. <laughs> so we've, we've sort of inherited a cat from our friend. This has gone off the rails, but I'm going to tell the story anyway. We've we've inherited a cat from our friend Sandra, and uh, she's taking a job in Atlanta, and obviously can't whatever. And uh, so Evelyn is four and a half, and Pepper Jack, the cat, is ish around that age. Who knows? And they're not really cool with each other. They accept that each one lives here, but that's about it. And one of them is is always swiping at the other as they walk by and it inevitably ends up with Evelyn screaming. I didn't do anything wrong. Oh, you didn't. Is that why she's mad at you? Because you ran at her and then stopped and scared the shit out of her. And now her only defense is to try and claw you. Uh, I was playing. No, you weren't playing. You were trying to scare the cat. Yeah, but no, nobody feels bad for you right now. But dad. just all the time. Today's episode of Parent Corner is brought to you by Elite Designs. New sponsor. Uh, uh, no, if you notice this week, we have new logos for Uncommon Media. Yeah. As we've made a little bit of money, we have some plans to do some other stuff. So much money. Emphasize little bit of money. Uh <laughs> But we got the T-shirts coming, hats coming, uh, hopefully some other podcast projects. One in particular, we're really trying to get the ball rolling on. Shopping that around. Some video stuff we've been talking about starting. And all that to say, we thought it was time we needed a logo for the Uncommon Media separate from Uncommon Deeds. The business. Yeah. And Bobby had started his own thing, and we noticed it on Facebook at one point. And Justin and I had talked. I don't remember if it was on a podcast or not. Come on, people. We're like 54 episodes in. I don't remember. But uh, we talked about wanting to kind of give back to racers and the people that that help us do this show. And Bobby was kind enough to be on an earlier episode with us. So we thought it was a good opportunity we reached out to Bobby and was like, hey, we need a logo for the business side. What's your turnaround time? What do you think you can do? 
and got right back to us. You know, you guys, I can definitely turn around pretty quick. And my favorite part so far about working with Bobby, he messaged us, and I sent it along to you because he messaged me. It was like, I don't have hurt feelings when it comes to my designs. If you have critiques, if you think it sucks, you need to tell me. Yep. And I was like, yes. You're, not because I, yeah, not because <laughs> I thought they were going to suck, but we've all worked with people. It when someone's giving you their art or their work, it can be taken personal sometimes if you don't sure. necessarily like it. And sure. you know, we went back and forth a few times just because we had no idea kind of what we wanted. We gave very, very vague ideas, more or less. We like this color, please, and we'd like a little of that color, please. And that was pretty much it. And we said, maybe really a microphone. And I think yeah. maybe a microphone, we said. Yeah. And we were able to go back and forth, and then within a few, we had a bunch of logos. At least, well, two main logos and different color variations, and he absolutely killed it. Totally. And I think, what is there, two or three color variations. There's a horizontal one and a square one, or round one, I guess. He also did some black and white versions for us because there's different uses for those. And, you know, paperwork and, you know, in this printing application, you can't use color or whatever. So he really kind of covered our bases and he did it in what, a week? And like you said, you know, there were a couple of designs that we really didn't like and told him that. And he was like, all right, forget it. How about this? And we didn't, yeah, we didn't give him any direction. He just did it. And it was great. The thing I like about Bobby Therian is his attention to detail, which by the way, I don't know if you've noticed, but he's always got nice stuff and always wins races and championships because he's on his game. Um, and I never had this in my brain but at the Milk Bowl, I noticed in the Casella sponsorship that he had on the quarter panel, these little cow, Holstein cow spots that he kind of worked into the logo. And it was so subtle, and you couldn't see it from the grandstands. You could only see it up close, and you only if you were really, really paying attention to the details on the car, because it was this little gray, like off-white gray cow spots in the white letters. And I was like... This guy has his shit together. <laughs> like the fine little details and stuff like that is what I'm looking for. And he totally killed it. He he did a great job for our, our business logos and um, I couldn't be happier. So there's the endorsement. Yeah. And we're going to hear more from him midway through this podcast today. And he's going to be on board with us for, the next bunch of episodes. So we're definitely looking forward to that. And thanks to, you know, of course, Barry tile and Bushy's generator sales and service. They've been on with us for a few months now. Bushy's came with us, what Christmas and uh Barry tile has been with us since before that. I, I don't know. I'd have to look at the calendar. It was around milk bowl time. I think. Yeah. Something like that. You're right. So um, great partners that have been with us and, and shall be for quite a while. So nice to welcome Bobby into the family with them. Oh, 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 and Ben Bushy sent me pictures. <laughs> this guy is out of his damn mind, but he'll be coming to you 
from two count them two racetracks this year. Uh, I, I don't, I want to, I don't want to spill the beans on what kind of cars he's driving, but he'll have some uncommon deeds logos on the cars. And he doesn't know our, that yet, but he will. Yeah, he will. Um, I'm super excited. Uh, also, <laughs> you know, Bobby just started his business. You can find him on Facebook. We want you guys to go blow up his spot yep, on Facebook. Elite Designs. You can find the link on our page. It'll be on this podcast. If you look in the description, I believe. Any of those places. Let's blow up his Facebook page this week. Let him know that the Uncommon Deeds listeners appreciate what he does. And let's, uh, like I said, let's blow up that page a little bit. He has 347 likes as of right now. As, as we record this on Tuesday night. Well, I guess it doesn't matter because it comes out on, on Friday, but 347 likes. So when we come back next week, we're going to make a full report. There better be at least 348 likes on that page. Wow. I thought you were going to go with like 500. <laughs> <laughs> I can't. There can't better be at least one more. <laughs> I have full, full belief that you people are going to blow up his spot. Lord Thomas has spoken. Indeed. Lance Ferno this week. I don't think we actually mentioned it. This was an interesting one that you and I had been looking forward to for a few weeks and we'd talked about for a while. Just mm-hmm. a very interesting story from where he began to where he ended up, which is, you know, working in NASCAR. So ACT champion, uh, big winner at Thunder Road, uh, one at Airborne, one at Groveton had one of the most iconic and consistent, by the way, paint schemes, um, of the nineties with that black car with the sweet white block 31s with the blue outline. And then he had like that light blue and then the pink and the purple pinstripes down the sides, pump and pantry, always on the quarter panels, just a sweet looking ride every year. Without further ado, let's go ahead and let Justin make today's introduction. Our guest this week is a driver who made a lot of visits to Victory Lane in a very short amount of time at Thunder Road, and uh, he wasn't around for a long time, but uh, he certainly made an impression. Uh, Had some tire marks on the doors a couple of times, too, and we'll get to that, but uh, really a, a great driver who went on to bigger and better things and has made a a pretty great life for himself down South in the uh, cup series. But we're talking about the local start and where it went. Um, It's a pleasure to have on uncommon deeds this week, the 1995 ACT late model tour champion, Lance Ferno out of Williamstown, Vermont. Uh, Welcome to the show, man. Yeah. uh, Thanks for having me. Um, I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. You are on the road right now. Yeah, we're, um, we just flew into, uh, Daytona, um, we're headed to the hotel. You like, you literally just got off the plane, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. About 10 minutes. It's <laughs> crazy. <laughs> Good uh, flight. Yeah. My bad. Pretty quick. So you had, uh, a car when I'm, a, when I'm a kid, a car that really made a big impression on me, the the iconic black 
white numerals and these awesome pinstripes down the side of it. And it was always the same consistent every year, except for, I think you had the first year it was a little bit different, but um, just a cool looking race car. And as a young kid, all I cared about was paint schemes. And then it turns out that you could drive the hell out of that thing. So uh, I'll be approaching this from a fan perspective a little bit too. Um, But uh, we always start this thing off with Tom's big question. Of course. When do you remember motorsports coming into your life? Um, I remember, you know, growing up um, watching racing, uh, you know, we always on Sundays and, uh, you know, we go to Daytona usually, you know, pretty much every year we went down to that. It's kind of my, you know, how we got started always kind of, you know, NASCAR stuff. Were you, so you're, you're watching on TV. Who's, who's your driver? Who are you cheering for as a kid? Yeah, uh, well, back then, it'd probably be uh, Dale Earnhardt, I'm sure. I think that was um, pretty much the guy, Rusty Wallace. I really like Rusty Wallace as well. You can't like both. It's yeah, a cardinal sin. I, I know. Uh, <laughs> probably more Earnhardt, I'd say. <laughs> Did that inspire the the black car with the white, bold oh, yeah. numbers? Yeah, yeah, somewhat, uh, for sure. Yeah. Um, I think at the time he was red and uh, we were blue, but yeah, for sure. You uh, you were one of the really young kids in that late model. I mean, really, if you're growing up watching racing on TV, um, it's not too many years before you're in a race car. I, I remember you being, yeah. well, listen, you won the, you won the ACT championship when you were 22. So yep. you must've been, <laughs> in high school when you started when you started driving right yeah yeah i was um i think i was 17 ish 17 18 uh, when i got started with it which was you know at the time was kind of young uh there wasn't anybody else that age uh, nowadays that's you're over the hill at that age being in the late models right right and you know we've talked about it justin and i and like 1991 was an unbelievable season. 90, that's kind of like the who's who's of that Tiger division. Your Chuck Beatty's, yeah. your Burger Blake's, and Dwayne Lanfear, and Mark Lanfear, and Phil Scott, and you name it. They were and there. And Steve Miller. Yeah, yeah. Steve yeah. Miller. Yeah. And you're, you know, 17, 18 years old, and there are 40 cars every week trying to qualify, and there's. 25 cars and a B feature, you know, what's, what is that learning curve like for you? Yeah. You know, I remember when very first starting, it was, you know, we really didn't know what we were doing at all. And we really struggled hard to get out of the B feature. And that, I, I can only know if we did when I first started at all. And there was a lot of cars, super competitive. I wouldn't say it was intimidating because I probably really didn't know any better. I, brought, I really, to be honest, I really didn't realize what was happening at the time. You know, I didn't even, um, looking back, you know, there was a lot of good guys, very competitive. There was always action going on. It was uh, definitely, definitely a good time uh, looking back. How do you go from TV to 17 years old with a flying tiger car? Like, that's a... <laughs> That doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> like who, so, who helped you, who helped you out? Who was, who was the push? So, you know, 
my dad was friends with Larry Hebert, and uh, he was racing at the time. Uh, um, you know, we, we'd go watch a few races. We, you know, I remember going to Tatamount as a kid, um, watching Larry kind of hanging around. It was interesting, and I don't know. I think, you know, my dad liked him a lot, and we just decided to do it, um, you know, and I think Larry kind of guided him he took him up to Maine, um, you know, and saw Don Tart and um, decided to build a car and he built his car and we got started. And then, you know, we got the car finally and it was nice. It was a nice car and um, we didn't really want to run it. So we bought a, this old car. It was, it was pretty bad, but um, it was a good car to get started, go out there and just beat it around and, uh, you know, learn a lot with it. You know, back then with the Tigers, they were uh, a big right front. You know, I didn't really like that very much. I didn't, I didn't really know that much to start with, but I didn't really have a whole lot of success with it. And we kind of figured it out, you know, as it went on. But getting started was definitely, you know, we just jumped in the deep end and just, you know, went for it. Yeah, definitely the deep end with that roster that we talked about. Was there ever any consideration to maybe – Starting out in the kiddie pool with with the street stocks before hitting the yeah. hitting the deep end. Yeah, I don't know. I didn't. We didn't even really think that way at all. Uh, I don't know how we really came up with that, but I know um, Larry. I don't know if he had influenced my dad in that thinking or or what. He's definitely a character. Um, oh man, I can remember him taking me to uh, before I even started driving. Him and Ron Salty. Um, we went to uh, this driving school in Atlanta. So I hear I was young kid going to Atlanta with them two guys, which were quite an experience at that age. So really, the first time I ever drove a car was at you know Atlanta Speedway. Jesus, yeah, with Larry, which was fun. <laughs> yeah, with Larry and Ron Salty. Yeah, I don't know if you know him, but it was uh, quite an education for sure. Um, uh, he might have took me to the bar the first time. I'm not. Sure. I'm. I'm pretty sure he did actually. So yeah. <laughs> what do they know? Uh, yeah. Yeah. So you know, Larry Hebert. I don't think he ever won a feature, but in his Tiger years, he was a pretty good racer. Um, you know, hooked up with with the Beaties and and all that stuff. Um, and then he and Saldi went tour racing with the Pro Stocks. And well, it didn't go that well, but they always had beautiful equipment. And, right. you know, so were you hanging around the, the pro stock stuff at all or, or how did that go? No, not really. Uh, you know, I knew him, we, you know, we've seen her stuff and I think Daryl Owen was helping him a little bit too. Okay. Maybe I don't, I don't really remember that much about that, but, um, you know, I liked them, you know, we always, uh, I always liked that style of car, you know, like uh, straight rail type car, big motor. So as a 17-year-old rookie in the Tigers, did you have kind of that oh shit moment early on where maybe you're door-to-door with Joey LeCare or something like that and you start thinking, what the hell did I get myself into? Yeah, I think that was probably the first time mm-hmm. out. Um, I remember they they weren't afraid to move you or, uh, you know, push you out of the way and not really wreck you, but definitely um, 
wouldn't hold them up for sure, I would say. So I want to back up to something you said a few minutes ago, and I think it did it come across that you bought, you bought a brand new Don LaTarte car, which is an odd choice of chassis builder for a Tiger car. Um, but then you also had a second car that was kind of a junk. Like you bought, you you had a brand new LaTarte car, but then you didn't race it. (laughs) No, I think my dad realized it was probably not the smartest move to throw me out there in that, you know, never driven anything. So, um, I don't even remember what kind of car we got. It might have been a, a Howe car or something. It was it was pretty used up. It was um, definitely um, definitely used up. It was, uh, and I didn't do it any justice either. I you know I tore it up pretty good a few times, and it was good to get started on. And, you know, back then too, they were running. Uh, some cars had leaf springs. Some cars had you know coilovers and. Or actually, I don't think I ever had coilovers, big spring stuff. And, spring. Um, yeah. and there was kind of a transition area right in that time. So that car was kind of outdated. And, you know, we, we took it and we actually rebuilt it. You know, we made it current. Um, so that Scott Millington, you know, he when he was there, he helped do that. And uh, he worked on some of our stuff there for a little bit. That's why I'm a proponent for you never buy a 16-year-old a new car because they're going to bang it up. I know. I banged up my first car. Justin, you bang up your first car? (laughs) My first car was a race car, so yeah, I absolutely did. (laughs) I've already I got my 16-year-old a new car, so I guess I didn't go the right road with that. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So, uh, all right. So we've got these weird tigers, which were the headline division back then, this is, you know, 91 was the last year that the tigers were the tigers with the, the big 10 inch right front slick. And then those skinny tires on the other three corners, then the yep. stock bodies 92. It's basically the same chassis, but everything is different. You've got a aftermarket body. You've got four racing tires. You've got, um, you know, a little bit more consistency in the suspension, you know, the leaf springs went away, I'm sure. Was it hard for you to get into a weird car and then immediately change the thinking the following year in in the late models? You know, I I think it helped me. It made me understand. I don't know. I I felt we took to it and, you know, the people I I would talk to and deal with understood that type of car more. And, um, you know, that's where, you know, like Don Latart and um, that kind of people really helped us. Um, you know, even I think Daryl Owen helped us during that time get going. So, you know, the, the people who were around, it made more sense too. So it, you know, it was a lot better for us. I think they, even at that time, we got rid of that conventional steering and, you know, you run rack, way better cars. It definitely helped us a lot. Did, any of those older veterans take you under their wing at all? I know, especially at that time, there were a lot of, you know, big Williamstown guys racing your Chuck Beatties of the world. Did any of yeah. those guys kind of help you out or were you guys just kind of on your own to learn however fast you could learn? Um, we're pretty much on 
our own. You know, a lot of people didn't really want to, I don't know, it was kind of weird. They didn't want to deal with me or, or what it was. But, um, and, you know, to this day, my wife says, I don't, I got to do everything myself anyway. So, um, you know, I didn't really, we talked to some people, but there wasn't really anybody that would um, help you a lot. I mean, there's, you know, it's kind of, it's just kind of different. Um, I don't know if, if I was so young or what, but. Um, you know, you, yeah. you mentioned that at this point, you know, in 2022, if you're getting started at age 18, you're past the prime. Like nobody cares at this point. But yep. <laughs> back then, you're racing with Clem Despo and Tom Tiller and Red Mead, who'd been doing it for 30 <laughs> years. And you're the only kid. I mean, really, the only kid out there. Yep. Um, Probably considered arrogant, I would almost think. Yeah, right. Yeah. Like, did they assume you had a chip on your shoulder or something? Or, I mean, I don't I don't know you, but <laughs> did uh, you? <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't think so. Uh, I was always the type to, you know, keep to myself, too. Like, we always... Um, you know, did our thing and, you know, you learn quick to don't worry about what everybody else is doing and do your own thing. And, you know, I really didn't ever pay attention to them. I mean, I've, I've had a few of them here and there come after me and, you know, different times, but, you know, nothing really bad that I remember. Now in 92, that first year of the late models, after the transition, you start winning races. Did that, did that compound things? I mean, would, did that isolate you even further or did people start to kind of take you seriously and be like, all right, you know, maybe the kid's all right. Yeah, I, I think so. I think they, they race you a lot different. Um, there's a time where they would you know push you around until you start pushing back and beating them. You know, that's changes things and, you know, racing up there. That's kind of how it was, you know, yeah. um, I guess gain really respect, but you know, there's, it was all pretty good racing. And there's a lot of people that could win at any given time too. You know, there's a lot of good racers at that time. You mentioned, okay, you're a teenager. You're in the headline division with all the veterans. You're occasionally banging some stuff up. What's your relationship with Tom Curley like? It was definitely one-sided, um, and him being the one talking, um, yeah, and uh, loudly usually. Um, <laughs> I know, like you know, after I won the, my first race the next week, I think it was even during a heat race. He was in my right side window yelling, yelling at me for something. It was never really. Um, he never really yelled back at him because it didn't get you very far. So. I can remember him stopping a race and yelling at me for doing restarts, which is kind of funny because my daughter gets in trouble for restarts all the time now as well. So, what do you mean <laughs> he stopped the race? So, like Moody, Moody was on the show with us about a year ago and told us he remembered, you know, Tom stopping a race and walking down the grandstands and pulling all the drivers out of the cars and, and screaming at. Was that you? Is it that he's talking about? Oh, no, he didn't pull them all out. He just pulled me to the side and yelled at me. Um, on the track. Uh, on the track, yeah. Awesome. <laughs> As a leader, you know. Um, <laughs> Curly, um, you knew where you stood with him all the time, for sure, which is good. I like that. But, he, you know, he, he did a good job. He, um, you know, people complained about him a lot then. And, you know, and looking back, you know, he did – you miss it, right? And there's very few people in the, 
out there that could do what he did. You know, I've seen a lot of different tracks, been around different stuff and how people race or promoters and that. And he was definitely one of the best ones. If he's screaming at you on the front stretch, how, <laughs> how's your, how's your yeah. mom reacting to that? <laughs> Watching her boy yeah. get tarred and feathered in front of God and everybody. <laughs> so my mom would never really watch. She would just sit in the trailer um, okay. from early on. And maybe that's why, I guess, I don't know, but um, I always kind of wonder why, but it kind of makes sense now. And it was funny too, you know, like Curly would be yelling at that particular race. I remember him and Gary Turner both yelling at me, him driving his car, screaming at me with Tom screaming at me on the other side. So, so who do you and listen to in that one? You probably talk. right, yeah. And it's yeah, it seemed like if anything was going to go bad, it was um, when Gary Karen was around for sure. Like I just um, I don't know what it was, but he was always seemed to be there when that kind of stuff was happening. You get through, like Justin said, you kind of start winning. And next year, you continue to progress. And we've talked to a handful of drivers who worked with Jeff LeCare as their crew chief later on in the late models and rave about what he was able to bring to a program. Now, you started working with Jeff really early in his his progress, right? Yeah, yeah. I, well, I think Jeff kind of started with his brother before that, Joey. But um, helping me, yeah, we learned a lot together. Um, super good guy. You know, owe a lot to him. He, you know, worked hours and hours and hours, day, night. It didn't matter. You know, one of them guys just do whatever it takes to make it happen. And he always wanted to learn stuff, figure stuff out. You know, we... Um, we learned how to do a lot of things together, but with the cars, you know, it was pretty much him and me, uh, you know, we did probably 95% of it, you know, and he, you know, we went, we wanted to learn how to hang bodies, you know, so, uh, Don let us come up to his shop and we spent a week up there. Don, you know, taught us how to hang the body on the car, you know, and it was cool. So, um, you know, and Jeff wanted to do it and, he was just super good at it. You know, he's, I don't really think he's ever failed any needs done. So he, definitely a talented guy. Yeah. When you're hanging around Don Latart, was Steve around you? I would think that you guys are about the same age, Steve Latart. No, he's quite a bit younger than me. Yeah. I, I remember him. I remember him there. Yeah. Riding his bike around. Uh, when I, was, I mean, I, so, you know, the first time I met Don Latart, uh, we call him, I still, well, I worked with him up till a year ago, till he retired, but everybody calls him Big Don. Um, you know, we go up there and I'm going to pick this car up. You know, I'm a, I'm an 18 year old kid or whatever. And I don't know him that well at all, really. And they get to his shop and, um, there's nobody in there. I'm looking around trying to find him. I hear this huge explosion. I couldn't figure out what the hell it was. And, I'm looking around and I hear some people talking. I go around the back of the building and he had built this cannon and him and Willie, the guy that worked with him were out there shooting his cannon into this dirt bank. I didn't know what the hell I was getting into with him, but he's definitely one of a kind. Oh, I love it. <laughs> he's um, Did you learn how to work the cannon? No, I, I, I just didn't even know what to say at that point, but, you know, he's 
become a good friend. He's helped me a lot through the years. And, you know, I've worked with him for, um, yeah, I, I worked with him the last probably 10 years or so and or longer, uh, 15 years probably. And he's taught me a lot. He's a real good guy. You know, him and Stevie Levitt, you know, I, I see Stevie Levitt all the time as well. You know, he's around where we live. You know, they're just good people. And uh, uh, Don's fighting cancer right now. He just got uh, his uh, chemo treatments and that. So hopefully he'll get out of that all right. Uh, he's a legend. Give us, uh, give him, give him our best because, damn, there's a, there's a lot more New Englanders down south than people realize. Yeah. There Do you is. guys kind of all seek each other out and stick together or is it just <laughs> whatever? No. I mean, I got our, the crew chief for Ross Chastain, he's a, a Phil surgeon, which used to help Phil Scott a lot. You know, there's um, a bunch of people around. I see uh, Moody occasionally, uh, uh, you know, help Brent Hatch's kid was working down here for a while. Um, and I've seen him around occasionally. Um, yeah, there's a lot. Kevin LePage, he, um, he has a landscape company right down the road from our house. So... They're all around. You know, you mentioned his name, and I kind of love this question, and I've only asked it a few times. And I'm inspired because Justin showed me a picture last week or the week before that reminded me of it. So in, you know, 91, you're this young kid, and there's another fairly young driver, and he's got just this rocking mullet, a mustache, just looking looking tough did you think oh that guy is going to be the governor of the state of vermont at some point <laughs> uh no and, and i tell you when he first started he was horrible um and we used i mean they used to just they used to beat him up pretty good and put it nicely but after a few years he figured it out and got it going yeah but yeah, he's a good guy. He um, definitely fun to race with. You know, clean, good guy for sure. <laughs> they called him Rolly because it was upside down so much. Yeah, I mean <laughs> that uh, Barry Schwartz, quite the duo there. They, um, I don't really ever understand how all that was going on, but all good people for sure. You you branched out. You didn't run just Thunder Road. Um, you know the. The late models, when they were born in 92, kind of hit the road and went to San Air a couple of times a year. And they obviously, you know, Airborne was the sister track to Thunder Road. Yep. And you were over there and you had some success. You won, you won a couple of races in 93 over there. Yeah, we did. Um, we ran over there some. Um, you know, when that first opened up, it was a little sketchy. Um, there was... You know, always this crowd of people that really didn't like us from, you know, Thunder Road group, I I would say. Um, there, you know, even Groveton, I remember that was pretty hostile when we went in there for the first time. But, yeah, Airborne was pretty cool. It was a um, weird track for sure, um, kind of like a D-shaped track, I think. Um, it, I, I always ran decent there. I don't, I don't know why, uh, but... Yeah, it was fun. Um, you know, a little bit bigger track. You got the, you know, a lot faster. And I always kind of like the faster tracks for sure. 
and especially, obviously, later on when we get to the tour, it seemed like you also kind of gravitated to longer races. Yeah, so, you know, with that whole late model deal, when it first started, you know, with the Tigers and that, I can remember you could get a whole engine, you know, for um, like 2500 bucks. And as time went on, you had to keep spending more and more money on them. And just the cost just kept going up and up and up, you know, and um, we struggled a lot with engines for a while. So it just seemed like the better thing to do, you know, it costs the same to run 30 laps as it did a hundred. And he didn't seem to tear as much stuff up when you were running them kind of races, but we, we really struggled in the, you know, 94 and that. I think that's kind of the time that, you know, Dennis Demers and Brian's dad, Doug come in and they were really stepping their motors up, I should say. So it made you step yours up more and things really started changing for sure. And as this is happening, are you, you you kind of mentioned it when you were learning with Jeff, are you fully engulfed in the whole mechanical process of your car? Yeah. Yeah. We did um, all the stuff. We were, uh, yeah, everything. I mean, um, other than the engines and stuff, you know, we did try to do most of the fabrication stuff that we could Obviously, if we, we didn't have the stuff to fix a chassis and that, but we could do pretty much everything else. So you're a fabricator by trade now um, and have been for 20-whatever years um, in the cup stuff. Did you learn because you wanted to or out of necessity? I mean, were you a, were you a kid who was building stuff and tearing it apart all the time, or, or was that just a byproduct of racing? You know, I always kind of like doing it. Um, yeah, I would always tear stuff up. and put it back together, um, enjoyed it, you know, and it was really both, you know, we always had to, if you wanted to go race, you had to do what you had to do to get ready and do it. So you had to learn it, you know, <laughs> but in the end, you know, it worked out well because we had, um, Tommy good skills and moved me forward, you know, do you think that's something that's missing now with a lot of guys who, you know, they are just drivers. That's what they do. That's what they want to do. And someone else works on the car. Someone else fixes the car. Yeah, I think so. I mean, there's no more of those people like that. I don't, I don't think anymore. They, or you don't see it as much. You know, you just see a lot of, I don't know, I'll say kids, but there's it's definitely changed. I mean, I don't know how it's been up the Thunder Road, but definitely around the Carolinas and stuff, you know, it's just, um, kids and they pay the people to do everything and they go race. Um, you know, when, when I was doing it, we, you had to do it yourself pretty much, you know, you, you weren't paying people to do it. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of paid help in the pits on Thursday nights these days. Um, yeah. Yeah. And you can tell the difference between the haves and the have nots. Um, you know, it used to be that there was only one or two, and now that you either have a crew chief or you are 19th, you know, and there's, <laughs> there's no in between. And that's tough. Yeah. Yeah, it is. So when I was uh, putting the graphics together for this, for this show, um, I went through and found a whole bunch of pictures. Um, mm-hmm. And there are a lot of pictures of checkered flags, you know, either you in victory lane or, 
the flag sticking out the window on a victory lap. And I'm serious when I say nine times out of 10, there's a big old black tire mark down the side of the car. And it seems like that was a real consistent thing for you. I mean, the cars always look great opening day. And after that, it was a crapshoot. But to me, that means you're racing hard. And I always noticed that the marks were on the left side, which means you're running the high side a lot. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I like running on the, up against the wall or on the outside there. I guess it was just, um, I don't know. I just, you know, gravitated towards that. You just, um, a lot of people were timid about Thunder Road. And I, and I don't really know why. You know, I, and then you, I flipped a car or two there and it, you realize why, but, um, you know, that's the only way you can, you got to find where, go where they're not. Right. So, um, I didn't really realize what I was doing at the time, but looking back, I feel that's what it was. <laughs> did that, I mean, did you ruffle fe- feathers at all or, or was it just tough racing? I mean, there's, there's a difference between running into a guy and running hard with a guy. Yeah. I don't really consider myself intentionally wrecking anybody or, um, it was a lot of hard racing. I'm sure somebody else probably thinks different of it would be my guess, but, um, I didn't back down. Um, I probably should have a few times, but I never did. You know, Thunder Road was fun because you, you know, you could move around and go somewhere. Dude, you didn't have to just ride on the bottom or, or whatever you could move around. I mean, that's what I enjoyed in, a lot of tracks aren't like that you it's a one groove you know right around the bottom and root people out and that was kind of cool about thunder road i mean it was fun i mean obviously the crowds we used to have and looking back it was pretty pretty amazing you know like you didn't think nothing of it then but over the years you kind of respect it more and it seemed like as the end of summer and kind of the start of fall came in you really got it going. The end of the year went well for you, including some success with the mini milk bowl. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know why that was. Someone else said that to me too. I couldn't, I don't really know why, but if it was, we just got our stuff together better or, or what? Um, yeah. It was always like that. I've always struggled in the beginning of the year or summer. I don't remember, but, um, yeah, it was always better at the end for sure. Yeah, I'm, I've got your win list here that I broke down by date. And of your 10 wins, I've got seven of them coming from the 1st of August on to October. I mean, you you won the Mini Milk Bowl in 94. Mm-hmm. Um, and you mentioned Gary Karen, and he was on the podium that day. And you guys ended up fighting for the... ACT championship the next year. Yeah. Um, so you kind of really did hit your stride at the end of 94 and, and you were kind of lights out really. It was, uh, mm-hmm. you know, that, that championship season in 95, you were, I think seventh, I think it was something like seventh or better in every race, which is pretty incredible. Um, when you consider that there's, you know, 50 cars at every event, you go to Oxford and, they've got 20 of their own cars that are trying to qualify or you go to Groveton, they've got 15 cars or Thunder Road's got 15 cars or airborne, whatever. And mm-hmm. you were, you were lights out consistent. Gary won three races in a row. I mean, it was his championship yeah. to lose and he lost it. So what happened there? 
Well, the way I remember it was kind of the points were tight all year. Um, there, I think Brian Hoare was in it too as well. They come down to the last race, and I, we we broke a motor, I think, right in practice, uh, right off the bat. And we had to change motors. You know, we got going for the feature, and I think we went maybe 20 laps or less, and it rained. Um, ended up calling the race off. We had to come back the following week or so, I believe. You know, we had time to go back and get a, a new, get the, the right motor in it. You know, we just started that race and you just kept picking them off, just slowly, you know, moving up. And I think Gary broke. I know he broke during the race at some point because um, I can remember him, you know, looking back. I can remember him standing in the infield, kind of with his arms crossed watching. I don't know. I think it was Brian. He was he was ahead of me. I think kind of ran him down and I saw him get into somebody and it shot him up the track and uh, I was able to get by him and won it. So that was pretty much the whole story of the, the race until the, you know, the tech afterwards where it went a little different. What, what do you mean by that? Well, they had us. So Gary had us torn down. Um, Oh, they had uh they put the money up at the time and I, and I don't know how much it was I, I think it was like a thousand dollars and you could tear them down uh something and you know that so we had to load up we went to this somebody's shop somewhere in Plattsburgh also had was building our engines and he was there racing so luckily or one of the guys that works there was there racing so he came with us and, you know, they wanted to look at the crankshaft, you know, thinking, you know, if you take the crankshaft out, you could, you had to take the whole motor apart so they could see everything and look at everything. And uh, he said, well, I think I can get it out of there without just, I think I can just get the crank out. So he managed to get the crank out without anything else. And they weighed it and everybody was good and we ended up winning it. But there was a little drama at the end. Yeah. I would think, <laughs> needless to say, that Yikes. a little bit of a rivalry there with Gary Karen. Yeah, you know, nothing ever really like wrecking each other or anything like that. It just seemed like if something bad happens, he was always not bad, but just some something happens, he was always there. Throughout that '95 season, and it's not a super long tour season that year in that first year. But are you competitive mentally in the sense that you think you can get this championship and you're trying to get the championship or are you just going out each week, putting up consistent finishes? I knew we were in the points. I knew, you know, the best thing you could do is just, you know, run hard and, um, win or you know get a good finish um it just seemed like everything went right for us that year you know i can remember oxford i got into somebody right at the start of the race and it you know laid the fender on the tire and um you know it should have probably blown out and it lived the whole race and you know i ended up finishing you know years past that would have blown out and ended your day but you know it just seemed like everything went our way for sure uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know why, but that was just our year. How, uh, I mean, the the top five in the 
final standings, it was you, Gary Karen, and Brian Hoare within five points of each other, and Dave yeah. Whitcomb nineteen back. Um, <laughs> that's insane. And yeah. I mean, but was it stressful, or were you, you had to notice the points and think about it at some point, right? Yeah, yeah. I don't, you know, I, I don't know. I'm probably just oblivious to it. You know, I don't, I don't really remember being that worried about it. You know, all I really cared about was to be honest, was getting in that tour car. You know, that's all we, I really thought about at that time, you know, it's what I wanted to do. And, um, this was fun of course, and it's what we're doing, but you know, I didn't really see it that way, but it was definitely a good, good time. I mean, we had a lot of fun, a lot of hard work, you know, a lot of effort and was put into it. And, definitely um was fun let's take a quick break in our conversation and tell you that today's podcast is brought to you in part by elite designs they're here to work for you whether you're starting a new business looking to change the image of an existing business or expanding the branding that you already have logo design decals and stickers vehicle lettering including door logos partial wraps and full wraps Banners, signs, motorsports, installations, you name it. They will work with you one-on-one to take your vision and make it a reality. Visit the Facebook page at Elite Designs to view past and present projects. And when you're ready to go, you can contact Bobby Therian at EliteDesigns5x at gmail.com or call or text 802-355-7735. New England weather is unpredictable, and when the power goes out, you'll need a backup plan. That's why you should call Bushy's Generator Sales and Service in Springfield and Brookfield, Vermont. Bushy's is the number one Briggs & Stratton dealer in the state of Vermont, and they'll help you every step of the way, from sales and installation of Kohler and Briggs & Stratton home standby propane generators to service and maintenance on all makes and models of generators from 10 kilowatts to 200. Bushy's Generator Sales and Service has been in business for 10 years, and they cover all of Vermont and New Hampshire, as well as Massachusetts, Connecticut, and New York. If you need a backup plan, call Bushy's Generator Sales and Service at 802-591-1903 or visit their Facebook page or bushysgenerator.com. Plus, you know, you can always talk racing with Ben because he's won a lot more races than I ever have. Bushy's Generator Sales and Service of Springfield and Brookfield, Vermont. We keep your power on. Barry Tile and Morrison Clark Incorporated have got you covered, literally. They're your number one stop in central Vermont for all types of flooring, whether it's tile, carpet, hardwood, or any other type of flooring, indoor or outdoor, for your home or your business. Barry Tile staff are qualified installers who can offer you real-world flooring experience and knowledge that you don't always find in the big chain stores. But you don't need our endorsement. They've been family-owned and operated since 1972, which means they're celebrating 50 years in business in 2022, and that stands for itself. And hey, not only are they great at what they do, they're racers too. You got it, man. Check out Barry Tile's Facebook page to see some examples of their incredible work. You can call them the old-fashioned way, 802-476-0912, or just stop into the showroom, 889 South Barry Road in Barry, Vermont. And make sure that you tell them that the guys at Uncommon Deeds sent you. Thanks to all our sponsors who help us bring this show to you for free every single week. Now, back to our show. About that time, you also got some seat time in the pro stock tell us a little bit about that yeah so i think it was 90 into 94 i guess um 
well, Ron Salty, I think he was over at Dunn Racing, and um, he had the car, and he let us take it up there to Airborne and run it. You know, we went up there, and we, you know, same type type of deal. They had no clue what we were doing. You know, and there was a bunch of us that had them. Um, I think went up. I think you know Steve Miller had one. Lampier, um I think Dennis Demers had one too. Yeah, he did. Somebody else maybe, but um, I think you know Curly let us go up and and test as that group. You know, he was just happy that we all had them and we're going up there and doing it. We get to run a little bit, then we went back for the race, and it you know just went well. Um, you know, Kevin LePage helped us a lot with it. He talked, you know, he kind of gave us some setup stuff. Um, told us what to do with tires and that. And, you know, I, I kind of remember it a lot because he was, he, you know, he pulled out and practiced with me and, and he's waving at me to, I was like, what the hell? I couldn't figure out if I made him mad or what. So I just kind of backed away and he was wanting me to, he come in, he's wanting me to follow him to try to help me. And I really <laughs> didn't realize what he was doing, but. You know, that was a cool race. It was, uh, three, I think it was a 300 lap race, something like that. And it was, um, yeah, that junior Hand- event was awesome for a long yeah, time. Yeah. Pretty sure it was Junior Hanley. And, um, I was, I was third and he lapped me. I was like, and I was looking at the scoreboard. I couldn't really figure out how this was happening. But so we had a restart. And I remember, um, I raced the hell out of him and got my lap back. Him and, I think it was Nason. It was Hanley and Nason, and they were beating the snot out of each other. Yes. And, um, yeah, I got my lap back, and we got going again, and there was a restart, and I just got hooked and spun out and knocked the front end off it. But that was a fun race. I I remember that one for sure. Um, You know, you had to change tires. You had to, um, you know, 300 lap race. You you had to do a lot of stuff with gas and stuff, so it was it was fun. And that whole series at the time was just good, you know, to get to race with junior Hanley and Nason and that kind of people. And Kevin LePage was pretty awesome. So that's, you know, in 95, you ran a half a dozen races with that car mm-hmm. and had won the late model title. And it seemed like, you know, the next logical step was to run the tour full time. And then ACT dissolved. <laughs> as you're accepting your championship trophy at the banquet, you know, yeah. that's when the bomb drops. So what happens <laughs> then? Well, we had planned to run the tour the following year. Um, I had sold that car to, um, I think Joey LeCare bought it. And we had ordered a Fort City cars and we were a straight rail. We're going to, you know, use that and race the tour the next year. So yeah, it kind of all fell out. Um, then we were, you know, scrambling, trying to figure out what to do. We still had that car, so we we built it as a late model. You know, I, I had a opportunity to drive. Um, I think that was when Pass was starting up. I think Mason started it, or somebody did. A NEPSA, yeah, just before Pass, yeah. And, um, you know, I had an opportunity to drive for a guy, and, and I didn't do it because – I just couldn't get my head around not working on the car and just showing up and driving it. And, you know, and I kind of still like racing, but, you know, curly and that stuff. So I was kind of torn and I just, you know, we ended up just sticking with the ACT stuff. Um, looking back, maybe, you know, I wish I kind of would have done 
some more of that or maybe try to do both or something but even like the championship stuff it was it was good and we had some little controversy even with tom at the championship with that because we were the only car that were in five-star bodies and at the time they were um i think they're supported by arp or something with a championship and he did not like that so we had to, we had some discussions on it <laughs> but what's he gonna do make you change the body in the middle of the year well no but they paid money out for arp okay. supposedly um yeah. so we didn't get that money but five star would give us our bodies um they gave us you know the bodies for the cars and everything so we did it and i can remember my uncle ray Pouillot, which was heavily involved with everything because and uh, him and curly were at it he didn't agree with it and pretty much curly told him you know you need him more than he needs you so it's just the way it went <laughs> was that, that sounds like tom is that kind of the first <laughs> glimpse into the behind the scenes politics of racing yeah 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 for sure um and I really even know he did it, actually. I heard about it afterwards, but, um, you know, I've had. <laughs> that's a classic Curly yeah. line, man. That's yeah. perfect. Yeah. You know, Curly was definitely a great guy. He um, definitely would, uh, the driver's meetings were always colorful. The Some of the stuff he would say, and I remember him bringing uh, toy cars there and, hitting together and stuff and trying to <laughs> stuff like that but it was fun i didn't really understand it at the time but you know like i said looking back it really uh, glad to experience it yeah justin and i calling races and that was obviously whatever that was 2013 ish yeah, when we started that. calling together we we would always say if we got there for the driver's meeting and the toy cars were laid out, we knew yeah. it was going to be a good driver's meeting. Yeah. <laughs> we were running a race there uh, one night, and I was, I don't, I don't remember, it was all like a 100 lap or something, and um, he had, we went through the infield for some reason. You go lap, they go through the infield, and come back out for some reason, so they could pit or some reason. Or another. Yes, yep. Well, I figured it would. Yeah. So back then it was, we always struggled with tires. It was a different tire all the time. And well, I had figured out that if you cool the tires down, they would, it it helped them a lot. So I started going through the grass and I can remember him, him jumping Jeff and telling him to get off his grass. Else he's going to black flag me and all kinds of stuff. And Jeff telling me, you know, just, uh, Stay out the grass, so you gonna park you in a nice way. And he's actually concerned about the grass. He doesn't care if you're trying to yeah. get a lay yeah, up on everybody else. He's actually worried about the grass. <laughs> yeah, that's all he really truly cared about. But... I know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh... When ACT folds, you know, you talked about an opportunity with Nepsa, but Bush North was really hot at the time, and the cars cost about the same as as the ACT cars. Did you ever entertain that as an option or? Um, well, yeah, you know, at the end of 96, we'll back up a little, like we stopped, I think probably 95, 
we kind of stopped running Thunder Road weekly and just kind of run the bigger shows. Yeah. And well, there's another Tom story, but uh, so, you know, we kind of looked at that a little bit. Then, um, end of 96, we had talked to uh, Steve Hibbard. He was moving down south and they were selling the team. We were trying to buy all that stuff and we had planned to try to run Bush North going to into the 97 season. Once again, just kind of jumping in, not really knowing nothing. And it was, it was kind of a little bit timid. I was timid of it because, you know, the bodies, you know, you, it wasn't, you know, your fiberglass bodies. It was all, you know, metal bodies and didn't really know a whole lot about that stuff. We were going to try to do it for sure. Um, I don't know what would have happened, but it would have been fun to find out. But you disappeared. <laughs> we, yeah. you know, that was, we we saw you a few times yeah. in 96 and then it's over. So what happened? Where'd you go? So, yeah, um, Steve called me, Hibbert called me one day and asked me to bring a car down for him to North Carolina. He was crew chiefing for uh, Joe Bessie and they had a car up in Maine. And uh, so I went and got it for him, brought it down. Um, he asked me to stay and help him. So I did. And he's like, well, let's come to, you know, they had a test at Daytona. So I helped him there and I ended up staying, never came back, you know, start working with Joe and, um, it was challenging. You know, it was almost like taking a step back because, you know, like a, like a Bush car, it had like the, you know, conventional steering, uh, big springs, um, lowers, like we used to run lower control arms, that kind of thing, steel bodies. So I kind of understood them and, you know, and I kind of started working there and, Enjoyed it, learned how to change tires, you know, as a tire changer. Um, and as time went on, you know, people quit, move around, this and that. You know, I had to kind of work my way around it. It was doing all the setup stuff. Then I got to doing car chief type deals. And, you know, I had crew chief a few times for him. You know, Joe was a super good guy. Do anything for you type person. He um, was really a good guy. And, you know, I probably stayed there longer than I should have. So Joe ended up buying into the cup team, um, you know, with Jeff O'Dine driving it. and The power team. Kind of, yeah, yeah. And um, went into doing that, and that kind of all fell apart. And, uh, you know, he kind of did some stuff after that a little bit and didn't kind of work out. We're So then I moved on, went to work for uh, A.J. Foyt and Ron Horday. Um, you know, that was definitely a learning experience for sure. You definitely check your feelings at the door working for them too. Um, yeah, <laughs> but, uh, great people, you know, they just, I know you hear stories about Hornaday all the time, but he's definitely a good person. Do anything for anybody crazy as hell. A lot of crazy stuff goes on around that guy, but, um, yeah, he was definitely a good Good dude, for sure. But even at the power team, you know, we worked with, like, with, what really hurt that whole deal was um, Jeff got hurt in that truck race. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah um, 2000. Yeah, and it, it really tore the team apart. Um, then we had different drivers, you know, like Dick Trickle drove it. He drove it quite a bit. I think Ted Musgrave drove it a little bit, but um, that was a that was a really cool guy to work with. You know, he, that was, um, definitely an experience working around that guy. Was that 
an easy transition for you to make to just go and, you know, full time behind the scenes or did it feel like a little bit of a lost piece of identity with the fact that you weren't driving anymore? You know, I had, um, I had an opportunity, um, that Mike Mintler, um, had a truck Hmm. and, uh, I drove it. We went to a test in, uh, Disney world when they were down there and I got to drive it. I ran as fast as anybody that was in it. Uh, there was two or three of us down there with it, ran some pretty good laps, but just didn't have the money to do it. You know, they didn't, they didn't have a lot of money and you had to bring money and it's, it's a lot more money than I'd ever had to spend racing for sure. Um, but that was fun. I didn't really know what I was just like, Oh, I didn't really know what I was. I just jumped in it and went. Um, and I remember Joe, Bessie was just laughing. Like you're just going to go down there and do it. And I was like, yeah, why not? And he's like, all right. So, uh, he talked to me some, tried to make sure I didn't kill myself, but, um, it was fun. It was a good learning experience. Um, and I scattered the motor in it. Um, uh, and they had to shut the test down after that, but it was a um, good time. <laughs> <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> I guess you, you just kind of went down South on a whim and not only did you stop driving, but did you leave family and friends behind? I mean, did anybody know you were going or was it just, you got in the truck one day and, and yeah, the car and never came back. Pretty much. Yeah. Um, when I came back, got my stuff. Yeah, that's when everybody knew, I guess. Um, right. Yeah, it's really kind of how it happened. You know, I didn't really intend on it. Um, I still wanted to race and all. Um, and I did build a straight rail later on. Uh, me and one of my friends, uh, Brian, he used to work for uh, Junior Hanley for years. We built a car uh, to go over to Concord when that, they had like that big 10 series, you know. Yeah, it was a big deal back in the day. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, they had some, it was stout, but, you know, it was hard. I didn't really have the money to do it. We built the, we built the entire chassis and everything, uh, and engine and all that. And, you know, they're running, you know, nine to ones, you know, they had the big carburetors on and all that. And expense, you know, everything was expensive shocks, tires, and all them guys had, I don't want to say cheated up motors, but they were, they were cheated up motors with, you know, traction control and they had everything. So, um, yeah. I mean, they had the bodies on them, right. And they just, it's hard. And, um, you know, I pick on, I'm good friends with, um, Teddy Musgrave Jr. And he raced over there and that's his claim to fame. And we can pick on him a little bit, but yeah, we, um, you know, that's kind of how it ended for me too. Cause I can remember, um, racing over there, we finally got it running, got it going, you know, struggled. It's hard to find anybody to help, you, you know, everybody down here has, you know, does it for a living, doesn't want to go do it on a weeknight or a weekend or whatever. And we raced, I, I blew it up. I don't know. I don't think I blew it up that time, but, uh, we raced, I, I had a flat tire or something and just didn't finish well. And I'm loaded up and I'm headed home, you know, it's, one o'clock in the morning and all by myself and i'm thinking and i had to get up at three o'clock to get on an airplane to go change tires the next day and 
where we're, we're racing at with a cup car and i just i right and i pulled the plug at that point and said i just can't do this <laughs> i gotta focus on one thing or the other here you mentioned a couple of names that i have to ask about aj Foyt and dick trickle uh yeah. that seems like a hell of a way to get an education fast <laughs> yeah <laughs> is there uh, anything I, anything that we can that we can put out there that is family safe <laughs> um dick trickle probably not but um i think that guy is amazing he um smart you know he everybody loved that guy he would he could walk around the pits and and he could get anything out of anybody you know everybody wanted to help him um you know talking to him and you know, I, I, we were sitting around one day talking to him. He's like, how many short track races you win? He said, ah, he couldn't even think. He said, I saw him 1,200 or so. And it's just, you know, it's just crazy. But um, super good guy. He was one of a kind. I mean, smoking cigarettes in the car, you know, old school type stuff. You know, he had the, you know, the gloves with the fingers. He had to cut the fingers and pull back so he could smoke his cigarettes and they put them back so NASCAR couldn't tell. And I love it. <laughs> he had this saying. I wish I could remember it. Like right before the start of the race, he'd say it every time. And um, I mean, if you ever look, if if he was in a race right before the restart, he'd always flick his butt out the window and hit people's windshields or whatnot. But um, yeah, he was uh, he was cool. He was really cool. That's funny. It, it, AJ, you just you ain't you don't really have enough time for this show for AJ Foyt, but oh come on, he's a. <laughs> you hear stories, and once you meet him, you it's all true. When you're on the road, and he shows up, and it's he's always done it better. Of course, this is the way you do it, and it's just doesn't understand that things changed, you know, over the years. Uh, <laughs> he's very hard headed in that respect, but you know. Hell of a guy. I mean, he's intimidating. Like he ain't afraid to he'll go toe to toe with anybody. You know, even then he was kind of slowing down a little bit, but he still still uh would set you straight. He wouldn't think twice about it. We were in Atlanta one time and we we're beside the the forty three car, I think it was, and him and Richard Petty were standing there talking and he was trying to tell us how the Dodges were so much better because they're five inches narrower. And, and I can just remember Richard Petty just shaking his head. Like, what, are you, what is this guy talking about? Like, but you know, looking back at it, it's pretty two, you know, pretty big legends sitting there. Who's this crazy old man? Yeah. <laughs> it's AJ. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you see a lot of that stuff and, you know, everybody loved the guy for sure. Like, yeah. He could do whatever he wanted. I mean, we could, at that time, you know, we could go to Indy anytime we wanted to and test. They would shut the whole place down if he was around, which was cool. You know, there's not a lot of people that they would do that for. He never slapped you, did he? Because he's he's known for that. I've seen it. (laughs) You (laughs) know, he didn't like earrings either. Like if a guy wore earrings, he did not like that. Oh, man. Yeah, I bet. It was not into that sort of thing, I should say. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it was a good place to wear. It was fun. I mean, Hornaday was the whole AJ Foyt deal was good. And I ended up 
I was a car chief on it pretty much the whole time. Then Larry lost his crew chief. Something happened there. I don't remember all, but I crew chiefed him for 10 races at the end of that year. Then I, I moved on after that. But, um, you know, it was, uh, we worked hard and had fun. And, you know, Hornaday, he just, he makes it fun no matter what. So if you couldn't have fun around that guy, you weren't going to have fun. Speaking of fun, kind of mentioned it a little bit earlier in the show. What is the uh, the future of Ferno racing look like with your daughter? Well, she's racing micro sprints now. Um, she's she's um, we're going to run Millbridge. Um, cool place, you know. It it reminds me a lot of Thunder Road. You know, we race Wednesday nights. It's it's on Dirt Vision every week good racing solid you know she's racing against like you know christopher bell uh sheldon creed you know larson's out there um you know there's people from all over the united states come there and run uh, if you're gonna dirt race you know a micro that's one of the places you need to be for sure is she racing against those guys yeah yeah wow you know, she was it was funny with that her one of her first races like she was racing like the outlaw carts, which are, you know, uh, it's a wing to go kart with a huge motor on it. And they, they fly, they're actually faster than a micro still. But, you know, one of her first races, she was out there. She was racing with, um, uh, I guess the kid that won the Xfinity championship, Hemrick. And he had never, he, he was driving one of Christopher Bell's and they raced side by side the whole race. And I was like, well, you know, he's a Xfinity guy. Like, he's won races. You know, he's won a ton of late model races. So, it was fun. That's cool. Helped her confidence. Yeah. She likes it. I mean, and it's it, it's really a pretty big deal. Uh, you know, it's crazy how many people recognize that place and, and know about it. Yeah. Millbridge is kind of like the field of dreams. Um, I got to go yeah. there once a few years ago, and it's it really is in the middle of nowhere. It's in the woods and yep. you know, you don't, you don't even see it from the road and no. then you go and it's just this everywhere you look, there's somebody, you know, racing famous, you know, yeah. standing shoulder to shoulder. And it's just, uh, it really is kind of a, a magical little atmosphere there. It's a, uh, it's a great place. And it's growing, believe it or not, they really made it bigger and it's, you know, it's good racing. Uh, you know, I'm really not a big dirt type person, but, um, I had to learn it. It's just good. You know, you get, you rate, get there at six o'clock and you're home, you know, you're leaving there by 10 o'clock. So it's good. You know, <laughs> you spent a lot of years on the road week after week. Is that one of the main reasons, you know, why you wanted to kind of step, take that step back and have this time with your family? Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, I did it. I think in '03, '04, I kind of stopped. I mainly just went on Sundays and changed tires until probably like '06, right when the COT came out. The version, the car we were racing up and through last year, um, and we, you know, I focused on building those cars. It was like, you know, my my son, he was growing up. I missed a lot with him growing up and 
it was hard, you know, so it was just time to do something different for sure. And, you know, I focused on fabricating and doing that kind of thing. So it's, it's worked well, you know, it's stressful. You, you know, when really started building chassis probably in 03 um, at MB2, um, that's kind of where I started doing that. And, you know, that was with Jerry Nadu and the car he got hurt in was when we built. And that's hard, you know, to see stuff like that happen. It wasn't nothing. The car held up. It was just a big hit, you know. Yeah, um, he hit driver's door first at 140 miles an hour. Yeah, yeah. So when you're building that stuff, you know, you, you really got to get one shot to do it right, you know. So I can remember, you know, we flipping a car. Uh, I think it was Scott Riggs. Uh, Talladega went flipping um, yep. start finish line, and you're just sit. Yeah, you, know, you always sit there and wait. He's gonna get out. Make sure you get out. So it's a lot of stress for sure. But you know, I enjoy doing it. All right, time for our Barry Tile quick hitters, and then we will uh, let you go. And thank you for giving us so much of your time. You mentioned the tour, a lot of traveling. What's your best road trip story? from your early days probably um going to maybe oxford you know or um place like that you know we'd um jeff and jay uh jeff's brother jay and myself my cousin jeremy and uh, we always had a good time you know to mess with each other and guys would drink a little bit on the way up um yeah those are good good memories fun you know um Nothing too crazy. I don't really remember, but it's good times. Yeah, for sure. I remember going to Groveton, and when they, when that Groveton first opened up, they didn't like us at all. Anybody come from Thunder Road, and I was leading the race, and they, um, they went under caution. This guy wrecked it, crap at me. Um, I don't remember who it was. It was a local. Whoever the guy was that raced over there all the time. I got back to the trailer. I don't remember um, Jeff and all them guys were gone. I was just kind of standing at the trailer looking around. They are all down there fighting with them. And uh, I remember that. That was a pretty good trip. What's the dumbest thing you ever did in a race car? God, there's probably a lot. Um, I would say uh, way back when, we used to turn down our flywheels in our cars before we had good racing clutches and all that. And we turned one down way too much and I had it explode and blow the car apart. Um, so it was probably one of the dumbest things I ever did. <laughs> yeah. Did it bang into you? It, uh, well, it was in practice and, uh, it blew the dash out of the car. It Jesus. blew the back of the block off. And then when that happened, the transmission started rotating, ripped all the shifting levers and tin out of the car. So, it was all wow. said and done. We jumped the motor transmission and chassis a lot. So, yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. You saved the roof and that's it. Yeah. That was pretty the dumbest thing I ever did. Wow. But, Finally, you're on a long road trip to a racetrack. You're driving the whole way. Who do you want riding shotgun with you? Oh, God. Um, Immediate family kind of ruled out so you don't feel guilty uh, if you don't you know say your wife this is no pressure <laughs> <laughs> you know i i, I kind of like the uh 
you know, I'd say probably like a Dick Trickle, maybe, uh, awesome stories. He would, uh, definitely, uh, would be the one I'd want to take a road trip with for sure. So what are you doing these days where, I mean, you are off the play. It is, as we record this, it is 1222 in the morning and, and you've got a Daytona 500 qualifying race to run tomorrow. Yeah, we flew down uh, this afternoon or tonight to uh, watch. Um, my daughter, she never been to Daytona, um, so she wanted to see it. So we just came down to watch it. Um, we're going to walk around the pits a little bit and see that stuff. Um, we'll shoot home Saturday and uh, you know, get to work on her stuff. You're working for the track house team, right? Yeah, I work for uh, the track house team. We, um, was Ganassi. Um, you know, I worked there from Ganassi from 07 to 21. That's a good run. Yeah. You know, I, I was running the, I got hired there from DEI when Steve Neal was there. I got to know him well, and they wanted to start a chassis program at, um, Ganassi and they couldn't get it going. So they brought me in to do it and we got it up and running and, you know, we had some success with it. We've won a day 2500. We've won the, you know, Brickyard. Um, had Kyle Larson in the cars, won some races. Um, oh my God. And, you were, so you're, you were part of the jet dryer thing with Montoya, weren't you? Oh, yeah. Yep. Um, what's, what's Monday morning like after that? Well, it really don't start Monday. It starts about well. an hour after it. Um, so we were um, doing some stuff with a, truck arms um i think we probably weren't supposed to but yeah <laughs> it was 10 years ago it's fine we knew it was going to happen i mean um the guy who built the truck arms told him it wasn't gonna last and it didn't so <laughs> and, Yikes. yeah i think that's all he's really famous for isn't it the jet dryer and everybody knows that race. yeah he won yeah right all the races and stuff that he won but nobody cares yeah, that's funny. Because <laughs> I know that uh, as soon as that happened, I remember Dale Jr. wanting that car to put out in his yard there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I worked with a lot of good drivers. I mean, um, I, it's hard to remember them all. But, you know, Mark Martin. I mean, Jamie won a lot of good races. Kyle, of course. I had to get back into racing because of, of Kyle Larson because my daughter, you know, liked what he did and followed him so she wanted to do what he did so that's why we're having a damn dirt race right now now she's raced with him so that's mission accomplished yeah i don't know if she's actually got the right she may have actually but uh yeah she likes him he he's a good he's a really good guy he uh he's he's a really good guy he i think he's really underrated he's starting to obviously he's getting his people are seeing it now but I don't think you'll ever see even a driver like that again for a long time. What do you think of your, your current drivers, uh, Daniel Suarez and, and Ross Chastain? I mean, they're kind of, they're kind of on the leading edge of the, the young up and comers right now. Yeah. I think Ross is really, um, Ross is not intimidated by anybody and uh, he's never really had good solid opportunities until now. And I think, coming into it he'll i think he's going to do well um daniel i don't really know he's kind of bounced around a little bit but i think he's 
comfortable now. I think he's in a decent situation. I mean, I wouldn't expect anything less than um, success from him. Well, I'm pulling for you in the 500. Um, we need yeah. we need a Vermonter in victory lane. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> get like, that done. We got one. I got one. That's cool. Uh, we got the ring from that one with Jamie. We should have one for Mark Martin and uh, the Army car. Oh but. yeah, definitely. Good luck there, and probably more importantly, good luck with uh, with the daughter's racing career. And who knows? Maybe maybe one day you guys take a trip and she runs a race at Thunder Road just to just to bring yeah. the last name back. Oh yeah. I, I, I really don't think you'd want her in an asphalt car, but maybe she um she does not lift, so it might be it'd be spectacular, but she's definitely not scared of it. Especially with that new uh, wall all the yeah. way around. <laughs> yeah. That, well, that's what she likes. Like she likes to run up against the wall and um, oh, man. she works hard at it. She has you know, she's got her own done all of her own sponsors, got all that. She's, um, you know, Lucas Oil sponsor, NGK. She's got, I don't know, she's got all kinds of different sponsors. You can get her own website, does all of her own social media. She's she's on top of it for sure. That's nothing to sneeze at, the names you just listed there. That's pretty cool. Yeah, she works hard. It was funny. Um, I was at a wedding for my nephew, and Burger was there. I hadn't seen Burger in 20 years probably, and we got talking about it and I just let her loose on him. And, and I don't know if he really expected, uh, <laughs> she kind of just started explaining things to him and how she does her, her, uh, social media and all that. And I don't know if he understood it, but he acted like he did. So he didn't was good. trust me. Burger didn't <laughs> understand didn't. it. That was kind of a weird moment sitting at a wedding, watching Burger Blake dance to uh deaf leopard. I was like, how does my life get this way? But <laughs> I, I told it. that to my I told that to my wife and she she didn't really understand. But she just started with, <laughs> "Wait, there's a guy named Burger." Yeah, yeah, right, yeah. And I didn't really understand how he got that name until uh, I listened to your podcast there when he's talking about it. Yeah, well, that was a surprise to me too. I don't know if that's really the truth or not. I'm guessing not. not. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right, man. Well, listen, go to bed and uh, enjoy the 500 this weekend. And and, uh, like you said, we're we're pulling for you. And um, congratulations on the success so far and and many, many more years of that to you. Yeah. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you guys for doing what you do. Thanks again to Lance Ferno. A busy guy, and he took the time out, and I appreciate that very much. Um, Tom. That's me. Is there life in outer space, and do they race? Yes and yes. Of course they freaking do. Now, you may be wondering why Justin just asked me that. It is because we are debuting a new segment that we call let's think about this. And this segment will not be every week, but what we're going to do, we are going to cold call our friend Mamba Smith without any heads up. And we are going to ask him a crazy question 
something that makes us think, and we're going to see how it goes from there. So, Dylan, let's think about this. Are there aliens in outer space? And if there are, do they race? That's a stupid question because we're in outer space. Like, everyone forgets this part. Like, we are in outer space. We just happen to be the only thing that we know of. So, uh, we're in outer space and we race. So, and we're a bunch of idiots. So I guarantee that there's some race that's way smarter that is definitely racing and things that go way faster. And they probably just race like, you know, what's it in um, Guardians of the Galaxy? Like when they jump, when they do the jumps, they probably race by jumps. You think they're racing around us right now? (laughs) Yes. I think they're like, look at they're like, oh, look at those idiots. Let's just race around planet Earth or planet Garg or whatever they call us. Like, cause it does, it just doesn't matter. Cause like, honestly, we're probably the dumbest species. That's like, actually like the, we're probably the dumbest planet that it has life on it. Like, yeah, we can't even get to Mars. Not only dude, not only can we not get to Mars, but we can't even get our own stuff together. Mars has gotten further away as that we thought it was getting closer. It's so far away. What? You have no faith in, Eccentric billionaires with penis-shaped rockets? Uh, you mean, you, are you, if you're asking if I have faith in Elon Musk, then, yeah, no, he's going to get it done. But but for the rest of us, like, we're not going to be like George Jetson in it up in, you know, high rises with, you know, floating around and stuff. You do, you do realize that iRobot was, like, based in, like, the 2020-somethings. Like, we're, like, in it. We're supposed to be, like, in it right now. We're not even close. No. By the way, very underrated Will Smith classic. I love that movie. And and the the Jetsons, I think, was actually based in the, like, 2020s, too. Yep. Uh, Yep. And we've already passed Back to the Future. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that people, like, that were doing stuff, you know, 20... 20 plus years ago, they're like, oh, we're going to be so far ahead. We're not even close. However, don't worry, guys. Kim Possible uh, uh, FaceTime watches, we're pretty much at that. So there you go. You know. Oh, all right. That's, so that's the answer to the question. Mama, we want to do this with you like once a month. Can we do that? You can do it once a month, once a week, once a day. I don't care. This can be, I, I love talking to you guys. Any any time you have a weird question and you're like, we need someone to give a good answer, I got you. Anytime. There you have it. The debut of Let's Think About This. Can't wait for the next episode of Let's Think About This. Maybe if you have a great question that we should ask Mamba, Send it to us. Send it to us on the socials or the email. Okay. <laughs> I'm I'm all for it. <laughs> uh, make sure you are liking us on all the socials, following us, all those all those good things. Uncommon Deeds on Twitter and Facebook. Uncommon Deeds Podcast on the Instagram. Well, the Instagram, I'm yawning, sorry, but yeah. The Instagram. If you're listening to us on Apple, make sure to leave us that five-star review. 
same Spotify. I think they have a ratings thing now. Really, wherever you listen, they have something where you can like, subscribe, do all that stuff. It helps us with the algorithms. If you want to be a part of this weird, weird, uncommon media family that just kind of gets a little weirder. This is how get, season two is going to go. As we get more and more comfortable, <laughs> it's just getting weirder. And that includes sponsoring the Uncommon Deeds podcast, the Crunch Bunch podcast, both podcasts. Maybe you have a media idea that you think we can help you with, or maybe a podcast idea that you want to try to run with that you think we can help with. All you have to do is reach out to us on any of those socials, or you can email us at uncommonmediavt at gmail.com. Email. And we're starting to get a little bit of action on the old email address and people having some ideas, and it's been fun. Mm -hmm. We've got decals available if you want one. You can email us, uh, or you can uh, send us a direct message on the Facebooks. Uh, we'll we'll send them out to you. We that's what we do. We want we want to see those uncommon deeds stickers on your back window or your bumper or whatever when we're driving down eighty nine to Thunder Road or twenty two eight to Devil's Bowl or wherever we're going. Make sure you get yours. We're on Gen Two. Mm. Gen Two. I'm fascinated to try to think about what Gen 3 is going to look like. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in to this episode of the Uncommon Deeds podcast, a production of Uncommon Media.